Welcome to It's Lit Time with Dr. Tess. I'm Tess Martinez. I'm an English teacher. And on this podcast, we talk about anything that has a storyline from epic film trilogies to picture books. This is the show where literature gets lit. Hi, welcome to It's Lit Time with Dr. Tess. I'm here today with my husband, Jordan Martinez. Hello. And we're going to talk about games today. And you might think when you first hear games, you know, how does that fit in with a podcast that is primarily about stories? But I think as soon as we start talking about games, uh, you'll quickly find out that you don't have to be like a huge game nerd who plays the most obscure Cones of Dunshire type games in order to recognize that a lot of games really are at their core about stories. Um, Today we're going to be talking primarily about board games. We might also get a little bit into tabletop role-playing games. We're not going to talk about video games today. We decided to narrow that down mainly just for length and, you know, for practical reasons, but maybe later we'll do a, a video game podcast, which would be more of me just interviewing Jordan since I don't play a lot of video games. But I do play Animal Crossing, but that's a topic for another time. Um, So I thought we would start by talking each of us about our history with games. Do you want to go first, Jordan, or do you want me to go first? I'll let you go first. All right, I'll go first because mine's pretty short. Um, I do, and and this is a perfect example of of stories in games. As a little, as a child, um, I enjoyed playing Candyland, as many children do. But my favorite part was the story that was inside the box about, you know, King Candy and Queen Frostine and all that kind of stuff. And I made my parents read aloud to me the story every time. I would not play Candyland without hearing the story. Um, So, um, and then as I got older... um, I I don't remember I don't remember playing a lot of games when I was a kid. I know we had the game of life, and I enjoyed that one because it made me feel like an adult because you know do adult things in that game. Um, but again, for me, always the most compelling part was like not trying to get to the end first and get the most money, but it was you know naming my children and that kind of stuff. Um, and so and this is not to say that I'm not a competitive person. I can be very competitive, but when it comes to mm-hmm. games, yeah, Jordan. Yeah, you heard his agreement there. For me, the most um, compelling part has always been the kind of like the world building aspects and the, the story, really. Um, when I got into college, I really got into um, like word based games. And, and even I, I used to do a lot of game nights with my friends, but we would always do party games. We love taboo um, games where you have to, you know, come up with words and yell them out. I'm pretty good at because I can usually think pretty quickly and I know a lot of words. Um, but that was about the extent of it. I will say, I don't even know if I've told you this, Jordan. One time when I was a freshman in college, I went with a roommate to a, a Settlers of Catan uh, night um, when some people were playing that. And I think I played, but it was a lot of people I didn't know and I didn't really get that into it. But it's interesting because my life could have taken it. Maybe not my entire life. That's very dramatic. My my history with games could have taken a different turn if I had gotten into Settlers of Catan that night, but I did not. Um, and so that was kind of like a, a missed opportunity for me, I guess. Um, but yeah, so when I met Jordan um, in summer of 2019 um, and he said that he was really into games, I was like, yeah, I'm not really that into games. You know, I'll play, you know, an occasional, you know, Scrabble or you know, a trivia game or whatever, but I'm just not like a big gamer. And but little did she know. But little did I know. So we'll talk about our shared history with games after Jordan um, gives his history. Thank you, Tess. You're welcome. So um, I have always pretty much been a gamer. Um, I can't think of a time where our house has not had games in it, whether that's growing up or on my own or with my wife. 
starting out was games that were readily available typically at you know targeting toy stores at the time which would have been sorry and trouble hungry hungry hippos and i can remember Whole nights of playing board games would be in, uh, when I would have a babysitter because, you know, everything was all about us. And so we got to choose what to do. And so I chose board games the whole night. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me at all. No. <laughs> um, learning how to play cribbage with my dad and then getting a chance to play that at the, with the, uh, my principal in middle, elementary school uh, when I was ahead of the class and didn't have chance to do any learning at that time or getting a chance to practice fun but a complicated board game Mm -hmm. Uh, and from there games started getting more complex and more fun until uh, freshman year of college I went to a local comic book store and they had a basement that was full of board games (laughs) and they had an an open game night uh, that night and so I was able to play a couple of games that I for the first time ever, um, that included, I think that night, Munchkin, um, and that might have been my first time playing Settlers of Catan as well, and I was already hooked, but I was hooked even further, Hmm. and so from there, um, started my own uh, moderate, moderate weight to heavyweight board game collection, and it has grown to be a bookshelf to bookshelves <laughs> and, and beyond. Um, some of my um, favorite uh, vacations on, on my own that I've done have all been to a board gaming convention called Gen Con where the whole focus was board games. Mm-hmm. And um, for well over a decade, I've been the person to, to read the rules and help explain and teach it to <laughs> Whoever I'm playing with as I champion the cause of board games. Yes, and you're very good at that. Thank yeah. you. So as a couple, I think, and I will say, I don't think, you know, my conversion to becoming a board gamer was like a, a deal breaker for you. Because the first several months we were dating and engaged, we didn't really have time to play games. We didn't play many games. I think it was that first Christmas that the, when we were engaged, yeah. um, we had some time to play some games with your family. And um, that was the first time we played Wingspan, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about on this episode. Um, but yeah, just I've played the number of games that I have played has grown exponentially since meeting Jordan. And there's very few that I don't enjoy. Um, there are some that are, I don't really feel like I need to play ever again, but like I really, really enjoy them. And my my biggest success story is this is going to sound goofy if any of you have played this game, but I remember playing Phase Ten, which is a card game where you have to find you know it's 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 kind of would you say it's kind of like rummy except it's a rummy longer game. yeah <laughs> um, I had played it like the summer that I met Jordan with some friends and I was like, Oh, this game is so complicated. I don't get it. It makes me feel stupid, blah, blah, blah. And then this past summer I played it again with the same friends and I thought, why did I think this game was so hard? Like I enjoyed it. I mean, it's a game that you can, you know, chat with your friends and play at the same time. But I was just like, I got it. I understood it. And I think it was because it was because of you, my love. Um, (laughs) I don't, uh, so anyway, that's, that's, uh, a type of game. Well, let's let's start getting into talking about types of games. Should we okay. do that? Yeah. Okay. So since our focus today is on stories, um, I asked Jordan um, if we could come up with 
some categories of games based on how story-based they are. Mm -hmm. And so you came up with this list uh, starting with games that we might call abstract games that have no theme or story to them. So Phase 10 would be one of those because it really is just Mm -hmm. colors and numbers on cards. What are some other abstract games, Jordan? Uh, Five Crowns. Yeah, which I still don't like, but I probably need to play it again. Yeah, Uh, Euchre. Euchre. Don't like that one either. (laughs) Do you sense a theme here? (laughs) The theme is that my wife doesn't like games that have no themes. Unless, unless, you know, uh, I need to give Five Crowns another chance. (laughs) But Rummy, Solitaire. Yeah. Games where there is almost no, if absolutely no, theming, and it is a number-based game. Typically, Uno, mm-hmm. where the goal is to go out. You have cards with numbers. They have colors. That doesn't make it not fun, but there is no story or story element to try to capture mm-hmm. your attention and get you thinking and planning and uh, engaged with the game itself. Right. And I wanted to talk about some positive features of each kind because I've been kind of focusing on negative. I mean, I, I do think, like I mentioned with Phase 10, um, it's because it's not an immersive game. I, you know, you can be chatting with your friends, depending on the level of complexity. I guess some are you pretty much have to concentrate on, especially if they're fast abstract games. But normally they're good things to do while, you know, you're hanging out or sure. whatever. Dutch Blitz. That's a, a fun that one. It's difficult to talk during. <laughs> That's true. But a lot of the other yeah. ones are easy to have a full on yeah. conversation, catching yeah. up on uh, planning an event while also playing a game because right. it's fun, but it doesn't take a lot of focus. True. So the next level is themed games, and that's just what it sounds like. Games that may not have a full-on story with a plot, but they do have um, a very clear um, theme. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I mentioned, would you say that Wingspan is a themed game? Yes. Almost bordering on a story because you have a goal. Well, most games you have a goal. Most games (laughs) have a goal. Yeah. Uh, Wingspan would be a good example because it's a, a game where you are attempting to build your bird sanctuary. Yes. Uh, there are heavy, heavily themed elements because the game is all about birds. Like real uh, birds you learn about. It's not mm-hmm. like angry birds. It's like you learn <laughs> facts about North American birds. And you're gathering the food types that these birds yes. eat. You're trying to attract them to the habitats that they want. And then at the end of the game, you get a score and to see whether you won or not. Yeah. Um, but you're not... Well, of course, you're choosing to try to tell a story based on the birds you play into your story and naming mm-hmm. them, which I don't think you've ever done yet. I've never named my birds, no. yet. <laughs> uh, there's not a story that's being told, True. but there is a heavy theme. True. Because everything in the game is about birds. That's a good point. So the I think the positive feature of this is a little bit more obvious because, for one thing, it can draw in people who might have an attachment to that theme. Like, I really like birds. And so Jordan actually bought that game um, kind of, I think you kind of bought it with me in mind. I think you probably would have bought it anyway. But that was right when we first started dating and you had heard that I loved birds and you thought, I think I can get her to play this game. And you were right. It doesn't always work. I know we have, um, so, well, there's, I I don't want to mention names on this podcast, but there's a person in our life who um, is a fan of Harry Potter, but who is not interested in playing Hogwarts Battle because it is a complicated game, and that's fine. Um, So the theme doesn't always uh, lure people in, but it can. And it makes the game fun when you're playing it. All right, so the third level of game is a game that actually tells a story. And I think the most obvious type of this would be role-playing games where you're telling a story together with your, you know, 
party mm -hmm. members and you're rolling dice to find out what happens but a lot of it is is creativity and that's why i think so many people who are role players go into writing fiction and that kind of thing but there are also some board games that tell stories can you mm -hmm. give us some examples jordan uh so one such example would be the princess bride the adventure book game where you as a group are trying to recreate the story of the princess bride and mm -hmm. so you are moving throughout the story literally because they the book unfolds into the pages of the story yeah and in order to succeed you have to recreate the elements from the story yep uh, but there's also um one of our favorites mm -hmm. called the adventure mm -hmm. where the goal of the game is to at the end is actually to take a time about you know 30 seconds to a minute to tell the story the tale of your adventure mm -hmm. because you start as someone who has a a trait mm -hmm. or a quirk and then you're going through and seeing whether you are able to succeed at various elements of story that mm -hmm. tell and craft a tale like um, fought an undead horde of zombies so that might then take your tale into you are a uh, now your your character that started the squire is actually a, a zombie slayer that is on a quest for the mystical gym mm -hmm. that will save the world from destruction yes i'm i'm laughing in my head because i'm thinking about the time when i told my story in the persona of the awful dodger and a lot of things happened <coughs> excuse me to my character that did not actually happen to the artful dodger in uh, oliver twist i'm choking because i'm laughing okay Okay, I made a list of um, what makes a good storytelling game, and Jordan, uh, you can feel free to chime in on these, and you might have some as well. Um, the first one that I came up with is player agency, which is the idea that players feel like they have some control over what happens. And so that's not hugely true in The Princess Bride, because whatever the players do, you like the, the movie, which is also the book, The Princess Bride, is going to happen. Um, <coughs> Unless you fail, right? In but which you, case you get interrupted by the grandson, <laughs> right? Because it's too boring of a story, and you want to go back to the video game, right? So that one doesn't have as much player agency. So I think that's a good game for for just true fans who want the the experience of being immersed in that story. Um, so I think that game has other aspects of a good storytelling game um, that make up for the fact that you don't really have a whole lot of control over what happens. Um, we should also point out that that's a cooperative game. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our favorite games, games that we'll be talking about today, um, are cooperative games where there's no competition among the players. Uh, it's the players versus the game or the antagonist um, within the game. Um, and uh, The Princess Bride is one of those. And I think, mm -hmm. I guess if you were a super competitive person and you did not play well with others, you might not enjoy a cooperative game. But a lot of people we know um, like that um, cooperative aspect. Yeah. Storytelling games also need a, a framework or a lens mm. uh, to help guide creativity and focus creativity. Mm. Uh, mm. A open, completely open-ended storytelling game exists. There's, mm. uh, I think it's called like storytelling dice mm. where the, the whole game is you roll, roll the dice and you have to tell, it, tell a story from the symbol shown in the dice. Mm -hmm. So there's no setting that you know it's, it's you know you could have it be set in one story being set in uh medieval times because you rolled the castle mm. and uh, a sword so you're gonna run with that next time you might say well uh it's gonna be a spaghetti western this time because mm -hmm. why 
because I because I say so. Okay. Yeah. So a framework can oftentimes give you guidance on where to focus your uh, creative elements. Yeah, you know that's interesting because when I first started role playing about a year ago. I wanted it to be more open-ended and I was frustrated by the fact that it just seems so arbitrary that you had to roll dice to see what happened. But I think as I've been getting, I've been doing more role-playing, I've been starting to understand that there can be a certain amount of beauty in that kind of uh, control that the game has over the story that you would want to tell. Cause I, I think that's almost necessary with, uh, with so many different people playing the game. Um, each one probably has their own creative vision which might conflict with the others and the the dice and the person who's running the game um kind of almost provide like checks and balances that prevent one person from taking over and getting carried away would you agree with that yeah as, okay as well as um in a if it's a cooperative storytelling game mm -hmm. like a tabletop role-playing game where mm -hmm. you are trying to tell a story as a group sometimes a, there's, it's good to have the ability to put forth an idea and a plan and then find out where it goes wrong. Yeah, okay. Because sometimes the best stories come from out of failure. Right. And, you know, in a way, that's more like real life. That I read a quote the other day saying that, you know, in fiction, everything has to make sense. In real life, things don't always make sense. You know, and, and in role-playing, it does introduce an element of... Um, what feels like chance or, or, um, you know, just things not making sense, which, which happens in real life. So in a way, maybe role-playing is more like real life than, mm -hmm. than fiction. I don't know. So like if you, <laughs> yeah. So like if you go to pick the lock on a treasure chest, mm -hmm. um, as a, you know, to steal the document that you need to exonerate your friend, mm -hmm. uh, because they are being framed and your lock picks break because you roll poorly on the dice. You still need that document from the chest, but now you have to figure out, can we take it with us? Can we smash right. the bits? Who else is coming by nearby? Can we... And you start having a problem solve, and, and you, the story takes a twist. Yeah. Yep. Just like real life. All right. Let's get back to uh, board games here and talk about another characteristic of storytelling that some storytelling games have. This is one that the Princess Bride game does have, that Call to Adventure has to a small degree, because there are elements in Call to Adventure that may remind you of stories that you know but then like jordan said it's mixing all those stories up together and creating something new and unfamiliar and so the element that i'm talking about is familiarity um and i think so i mentioned that i didn't play a ton of games as a child but what i did do was um, make my uh parents and siblings uh just like act out stories with me and uh, when i was really little i would say you know play care bears with me mommy and daddy and i remember one time like playing white christmas i was pretending like i was like the haynes sisters and stuff so i was always really into that kind of stuff just like essentially role-playing without dice um my favorite characters and so i think that there's a lot of fun in getting getting to participate in a story that you know um it's very similar to the fun that people find in like writing fan fiction or um cosplaying dressing up as their favorite characters or like i said just playing like kids do um and so i think the princess bride game a lot of the success of that game comes from that idea that like you don't actually play as the characters in the princess bride game but there's all kind you know all kinds of opportunities in the game for you to quote from the movie and you're or essentially you, acting out the story as like a puppet master yeah, yeah right so you are by proxy you are by proxy then true it's just not like you know you're not 
Princess Buttercup right. the entire game and I'm not Wesley the entire game. You're it, just kind of moving yeah. around. Everybody right. is. Everybody is everybody. Right, right. So, which is in a way even more fun. So I think that, and I wrote this down here, that sometimes that player agency element and the familiarity element kind of come into tension with each other because, like I said, part of you wants to wants the story to turn out the way you know it, but then there's also a part of you that wants to alter it. Like, oh, I wish we could change the ending of The Princess Bride or what, although I wouldn't want to change the ending no. of The Princess Bride. It's a perfect ending. Um, the, what do they say? The kiss that... The, broke all the records or whatever yeah. <laughs> anyway um so i wouldn't want to change that ending but in some cases it would be fun to kind of like throw throw a wrench into the story as you know it so but what if but what if and and i think when we did the star wars role playing we got to do that in in a way so um the third thing that i have on this list of what makes a good storytelling game this is something that for me i'm still getting used to um, but some people love this is the immersion, just like getting into the world of the story. And what helps with that is at some, sometimes playing games for hours on end or even playing a session of a game and then coming back a week later or whatever and playing another session of the game. Um, and this happens in what we call campaign style games. Do you want to talk about that, Jordan? Yeah. So a campaign style game, um, <clears throat> you oftentimes see this with a tabletop role playing where you're telling a story over multiple sessions. Mm -hmm. Or you have a game where everyone is assigned a character and you are able to make progress in the game and get power-ups. And so you come back for a future game with those already in place and are able to progress further. Uh, like Star Wars Imperial Assault or Lord of the Rings. Um, oh, I forget what the subtitle of that game is. Adventures in Middle-Earth. Okay. Are both games mm -hmm. where you control a character for the game until you have ultimate success or ultimate failure. And... You're telling a story, and both of those are games that, as you get upgrades for your character, you might start playing them in certain ways, and if you're playing a consistent character, it all gives you the ability to, in your mind, either in inwardly or outwardly, create a personality mm -hmm. for that character, and therefore yourself, as you are playing that character. Mm -hmm. And so you might start making decisions based on what would Gimli do? Mm -hmm. And the more you play Gimli, the more you're more likely to kind of get into the character of Gimli. Or in a uh, story-driven campaign for, like, when we were playing Star Wars, mm -hmm. what would my Wookiee do? Right. Well, he's brash, and he's foolish, so he's going to act like this. Um, whereas a different character might go, well, wait, no, we need to find out this information, this information, and be able to make sure we apply it to what, what, why, why is the door already ripped off the hinges? <laughs> Who brought uh, the Wookiee? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I was just thinking you should make a bracelet that says WWSD. What would Short Hoppa do? <laughs> okay. Um, anything else that you want to talk about um, that may, you know that makes a good storytelling game? <clears throat> um. So some games will have themes, mm -hmm. and it act. So one thing that can be critical for a game is if if, you're, if it's going to have a theme, to not just have it be um, you recreating Uno, but with different colors and animals instead of numbers. Right. It's how you actually utilize it and make it unique and special. Right. Um, like we have a game called Trash Pandas where you are a trash panda aka a raccoon that is trying to gather and stash its food from the dumpster so 
the food that you're collecting is named as a raccoon would potentially name it and looks like food that a raccoon would eat like moldy pizza and bananas with uh, mushrooms growing out of it because they're old and moldy and in the trash to begin with. Yep. Um, the game has a theme that it fully commits to and builds upon itself and it makes sense. It's not just reskinned, reflavored. Right. Um, I also have a somewhere a game of um, University of Michigan Wolverines Uno, right. which sure there is a theme, right. but not really because it's just a skin. Right. Exactly. Uh, I will put in a plug though for Uno Flip, which does change the game a little bit. We enjoy that one a lot. It just makes the game meaner, <laughs> but it's fun. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, let's talk. I'm going to take a, a turn here, and I want to talk about since again our theme is stories. I want to talk about there are stories in other types of media that have game-like elements to them, and I want to talk about some of those. And the main one that came to my mind is um, the like the mystery genre, watching mystery movies and reading mystery stories because I know that that's something you enjoy, Jordan. Mm -hmm. And so that I started thinking about. I wonder if your love of games and your love of mysteries is connected. And so I came up with a couple of possible reasons. I, I'm kind of speaking for you here, but if you want to respond to any of these and tell me I'm full of it, then you can. But I was just thinking, you know. It, it, both a mystery and a game is going somewhere. It's heading to an endpoint. It's not just like, oh, this is a character sketch or I'm enjoying playing around in this world. Like you're really trying to solve this kind of very often high stakes um, mystery or, you know, you're trying to win. Um, so there's something in common there. And two, um, there's audience participation. You know, with a mystery, you're sometimes I can just enjoy a mystery by seeing how the detective solves it and I don't feel like I need to approach it like a puzzle but I think for you a lot of times you do approach it like a puzzle and you are trying to see if you can solve it before the detective and I know from talking to a lot of mystery readers that that's something that they um, tend to really enjoy as well so there's an element of audience participation where you're not just a passive consumer in a mystery and so that makes mm -hmm. it a little bit more like a game would you agree with that? Yeah, because yeah. sometimes you're going to guess it correctly, other times mm -hmm. you're going to be completely wrong, and you're going to feel like you failed. Yeah. <laughs> but still be, uh, as long as the writing is good, uh, blown away by the story. Yeah. So in a way, a, a mystery is like a game where you're kind of an observer who also gets to jump in sometimes, maybe, in a way. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm stretching here. All right. So... Uh, oh, this, this doesn't really have anything to do with anything else on our topic list, but I wanted to share um, uh, another testimonial of um, uh, my own experience over the past um, couple of years um, where a theme, if it's done right, can actually make you want to learn more about a story that it's based on. Mm -hmm. um, so we've noticed lately a lot of board games that are coming out based on um, books. Well, we already mentioned The Princess Bride, which is both a book and a movie. Uh, we mentioned Hogwarts Battle, which is based on Harry Potter. Um, there there have been quite a few. I think you own a couple other ones, too, that we haven't played yet. Well, even Call to Adventure has a um, Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson mm -hmm. um, version of and it. And Call 
of the, or name of the wind version. A name of the well. wind version. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So, um, which I think takes away some of the element of like mixing up stories in a way. Um, but it's still, you know, you can mix up types of characters within the story. Story within like that. that universe. Right, right, right. But you, but I, I love the the base call to adventure because you can have like a pirate showing up in a zombie story, like you said, which is really fun. So anyway, um, anyway, I bring this up because we played a game. Um, that is called Red Rising, um, based on the book and its sequels um, of the same name. Do you know the author of Red Rising off the top of your head? Because I feel like we should give credit to the author here. Um, okay, Jordan's looking it up. Um, Jordan said, would you be willing to play this game with me? And I said, you know, I've never read Red Rising. I've heard good things about it. Um, shout Red out Rising to by Pierce Brown. Pierce Brown. Um, my former book club had read it, and I think a lot of people had enjoyed it. So it definitely is a book I would like to read at some point. Um, but I said, you know, I'll, I'll, since you need somebody to play this game with, I'll give it a shot. And um, we played the game. It was a good game. I think we've only played it once, but we enjoyed it. Once so far. Um, that's because we have a lot of other games to play. Um, but we enjoyed it. And as I was playing, you know, it was, it was a game that had a lot of cards in it. And on many of the cards, I think all the cards were every card characters is, every from card is the a character, story. Almost all of them named characters from the books that had various roles. Right. So uh, as I was playing the game, I started noticing, like, I I wonder if this character is a bad guy based on what their card does. Or I wonder if this character... You know, I started making assumptions about the characters based on things that their cards did in the game. And it made me curious about actually reading the book. And I have not done that yet, but I I definitely would like to. And so um, instead of making me feel alienated or confused about Red Rising. I still enjoyed the game and I it, it drew me in. So that I think that's a cool thing that, you know, maybe a potential marketing strategy for um for authors who write these really really um, you know, immersive, especially series books where there's a ton of characters and a ton of settings and stuff like that that they could um work with in a game. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk now. Um, I asked Jordan, I always like to end my podcast episodes, and this doesn't have to be the end if we think of some other things that we want to talk about, Um, but I always like to ask about what's a good entry point for people who don't know a lot about whatever it is that we're talking about, but they're interested in maybe getting into it. So I want to talk about some good beginner level games and maybe intermediate level games as well. Um, for people who want to get into more complex games. So, and we're not trying to create a hierarchy here and be snobs about games. Um, I always do make fun of Jordan because, like, he has our copies of Monopoly and Life in the closet where you can't see them because I think that he's uh, embarrassed of them, even though he says that he's not. But, like, he can speak for himself, but, like, I enjoy a good game of Sorry, so I'm not going to make fun of people that like to play Sorry. I'm not, um, <laughs> I'm not either, but a large part of it is we have well over 100 games. Right, I know. I'm totally just picking on you. only so many shelves that are outwards facing to put them on. I know. I'm totally just picking on you. Uh, but if you're interested in getting into more complex games, but you don't know where to start, I'm going to turn to our expert Jordan here, although I might make a couple comments myself. Um and uh, ask for some recommendations. Also, I will say too that it really, really helps if you're playing with someone who is familiar with the game. Um, and we haven't done a lot. I haven't done a lot about uh, a lot of this, but I know that there are ways that you can connect with people who play games online. Um, there are, you know, in-person game nights like Jordan went mm-hmm. to at the comic book store. Um, 
So even if you don't have somebody in your life who is interested in more complex games, um, there are ways that you can find people that are out there. And some board games have an online version where you can play like versus a computer, right? Or an app. Yeah, yeah. Your, friend, your friendly local gaming <clears throat> store is yes. a good place to start. Yeah. So let's start with some really basic games where you don't need a lot of um, prior knowledge. And oh, this one on here, can I make a comment about it? Um, Ticket to Ride is the first one we have written down here. I think Ticket to Ride was the first, other than Settlers of Catan, which I have no memory of playing because that was a long time ago. I think Ticket to Ride was the first complex game that I played and actually understood what I was doing. So shout out to Ticket to Ride, which has nothing to do with the Beatles. It's a train game. All right, you want to talk about that? <laughs> so all four games we're going to talk about are games that um, are spot on on theme. Mm, yes. Uh, none of them are truly uh, full on abstract. None of them are abstract and none of them are true storytelling. Mm-hmm. So they all are a theme that is used to define and build the game. Right. So the first one, uh, kind of the first level of introductory, introductory games, which I think would be good to take a look at, is Ticket to Ride and Splendor. Mm-hmm. Ticket to Ride is a game where you are uh, trying to build train routes if you, build, if you get the base game across America, mm-hmm. uh, connecting cities uh, by collecting cars that give you the ability to f- complete routes. But there's also these other evil train uh, companies, which are the people, other people yeah, in the they're game. they're not really evil. They're just your but rivals. If they, but if they take your route, then you can't. <laughs> That's true. Then there, you know, there's only so many space, there's only so much space between cities. Yeah. So you can get cut off. So there is a competitive element to it, but it is a relatively straightforward game to play. And once you learn, um, there's, it can, go, it can go quickly to play, but also um, there's a lot of strategy involved Easy to learn, um, but difficult to master mm-hmm. because there is a lot of strategy element of interaction between the um, between the players. Mm-hmm. And the theme of building your train line um, just it makes complete sense, especially mm-hmm. given our our country's history, yeah. uh, where a lot of the development of the West was based on railroads. Yeah. And a fun thing about Ticket to Ride, going back to that familiarity aspect, is that there have been lots and lots of expansions of Ticket to Ride that have come out, and some of them um, are very specific. Um, There's different European countries and just all different countries around the world. And one of my favorite ones has been, on one side, there's um, England, um, which has a very rich history of trains, obviously. And then the other side is Pennsylvania, which also has a very rich history of trains. And I've well, grew up in Pennsylvania and have been to England several times. And it was really fun saying like, I've been in that train station and like, I know that little city and that kind of stuff. So that element of familiarity is fun. Mm-hmm. So. so the other game that would be kind of that, that base entry level would be Splendor, mm-hmm. which is a game where you are working on, you are a gym, a jeweler mm-hmm. that is attempting to gather, uh, process, uh, create, sell to, uh, gems to noble patrons. Mm-hmm. So you do that by collecting cards, uh, or collecting actually gem, gem tokens on your turn, and then you use those to collect gem cards, which then you can use as permanent currency to get future gems. So it's a, a very much a game engine, uh, an, an engine building game, where you're trying to kind of create a an economy within the game. Mm-hmm. But the overall process of your turn of being able to do one thing on your turn of taking gems or buying a card goes pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. um, you, uh, I've almost, uh, you, 
any age level can be competitive. Well, yeah, we should mention Kenny here. We have a, I don't know if he's our second cousin or first cousin once removed, because I don't know how that stuff works, but he's my cousin's child, uh, who is five. And now Kenny is a little bit unusual. He's quite precocious. He's been playing board games, like, probably since the womb. Uh, but he, And he's, he's, he's a really smart kid, but he, he has kicked our butts in Splendor. Um, he, he's very, very good at Splendor. Um, whereas I would say some of these other games that involve a little bit more like adult level thinking, I, he wouldn't be ready for. He, if, if, you know, Splendor basically just requires the ability to one, pay attention and, you know, like recognize patterns and build a basic strategy. And Kenny is amazing at that stuff. So go so, Kenny. It's <laughs> also my mom's favorite game. There you go. <laughs> uh, from a second level of introductory, uh, Wingspan and Hogwarts Battle would be good examples there. Wingspan being probably my wife's favorite game. Probably. <laughs> uh, where you are trying to gather resources to, uh, which are food, to be able to feed your birds. And if you feed your birds, they'll come and live in your uh, nature sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And you have a, it is also an engine building game where as you get more and more birds, you'll be able to do more and more mm -hmm. as the game goes mm -hmm. on. So eventually your turns start taking a, a little bit longer because you are able to chain various things together. Which Jordan loves. He loves having all those long turns where he's like, watch this amazing thing I'm going to do, and then his turn goes on for 10 minutes. It is pretty cool. The wind spend <laughs> my turns are less than 10 minutes. That's true. But Hogwarts Battle, which we'll talk yes. about next, sometimes you have 10-minute turns. Yeah, so Hogwarts Battle <laughs> is a game where it actually does tell the story of the game because you yeah. have it is seven games in one because it mm -hmm. starts with the first year, and then as you go on, you actually get to open up uh, new box. If you go into the first time, you actually open up new boxes with each year that mm -hmm. add elements to the game. So the game starts out on year one mm -hmm. at its base simple level, which is still, I would say, moderately complex. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have someone to explain it to you, pretty easy to pick up. Yeah. But you are trying to, as a team, um, earn influence to gain allies and items like Quidditch gear or uh, influence. Um, Professor McGonagall to be able to come into your deck mm -hmm. and the deck is then used to gain damage and more influence to be able to um, battle the, the, the villains that mm -hmm. you see in Hogwarts yeah. and in order to succeed you have to not uh, lose your locations before you knock out all the villains yeah. and so it is a deck building game which allows you to um, gain additional cards to be able to become more effective and if you succeed at the year one you get to move on to year two and eventually the game the game does a very good job over the years of adding to the complexity so that by the time you get to year seven it is a very complex game mm -hmm. but because you've had that time to learn the basic rules add some twists add some additional pieces mm -hmm. add another component and a mechanic it the game does a good job of building up itself and almost teaching itself as mm -hmm. it goes yeah and you mentioned that's a cooperative game right so yes. it's the players versus the villains and that's another fun one where if you i don't know why you would want to play that game if you were not a harry potter fan i mean i guess if you're just a huge board game fan it is a well-designed game it's a fun game but um it's very much i feel like you'd be missing a huge layer to it if you were not a harry potter Potter fan plus there's spoilers in it um and um but I think that that's another one like I mentioned with Red Rising where you start to realize oh I understand why this card does this because it parallels something that that character does within the story mm -hmm. and it I love that aspect of Hogwarts Battle yeah. so uh, but also <laughs> it's a game that is another one of your favorite games yeah. but I think part of that is well what 
Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> but also, um, because it of the way it entered the game introduces itself by breaking it up mm -hmm. into several kind of phase gates of adding complexity. Mm -hmm. um, by the time you got up to year seven, you were you were an expert as well. Yeah. If we had started and the game started with the year seven complexity. You would have still enjoyed it because it is Harry Potter right. and you had me to explain it to you. Right, but, but I probably would have felt overwhelmed. It would have been potentially a little bit overwhelming yeah. because it was added bit by bit. It was this increasing complexity that is mastered as you go. Right, yes. All right, so in closing, are there any of these other games that you pulled out here that you want to mention just kind of as, a, as an honorable mention? Uh, we didn't talk about parks. Oh, something we should mention is that one thing that can make especially themed games really enjoyable is artwork. Um, and, you know, this this is a whole... I mean, mm -hmm. some games are practically like beautiful collector's items that you could leave sitting out on your table if you wanted to. Um, we, you know, especially if you get the upgrade like we did with Wingspan, uh, Wingspan excuse me, but um, Parks is a game about the, you know, American National Parks and it's got gorgeous artwork. Um so, and as you hike through the hike mm -hmm. through the trail, you get to visit various parks. Yeah, that's a fun one. Another game where you learn about things in real life, just like Wingspan. Um, oh, we have Villainous over here, which is a fun um, Disney game that has had a ton of expansions. Um, where, and I think that's a fun one because, and also for some people, this is probably frustrating. But depending on which villain you play, the game is completely different for mm -hmm. you because each villain has a different object, and you don't really interact a whole lot with the other players in that game, other than like fading them, which is like throwing Giving obstacles them, in their yeah. way. Which um, obstacles are oftentimes the heroes from the story, right? But so basically, just like a real villain, you're totally self-focused and you're just trying to fulfill your own goal. Um, which for some of the villains is very complex complex and some of them is a little bit easier but prince john um, wants to have prince john money. just wants to get all the money yeah it's, that, all that's the, a fun one power. yeah <laughs> whereas uh captain hook needs to find the map he, of neverland right which the first time i ever played villainous i was captain hook and i won in like it felt like two turns it's probably not true but i just got lucky with the cards and that that one but yeah it's a fun game so um you have Sushi Go sitting over there. That's another... I guess I put that kind of in a category with Trash Pandas because it's a quick game. Um, it's a quick game that's uh, a drafting concept mm -hmm. where you're trying to uh, draft the best point value cards mm -hmm. for yourself based mm -hmm. on various combinations, but the cards are these adorably cute uh, sushi cards. Yeah. Um, which have faces and they're, they're fun and you look like they would never want to eat them because they're that's so true cute. they're too cute Ooh, i had sushi for lunch yesterday now i feel bad <laughs> so yeah that's and and these are just some of many many um yeah i never thought i would be sitting here gushing about how much i enjoy board games but that's that's what love will do <laughs> but love really right exactly but again i want to reiterate it's it's love is definitely a big part of it but also i i just had to realize that games involve stories which is something that i already loved and i just had to see that connection so yeah so we'll have to do a future episode um jordan i mean i'd love to do many future episodes with you but maybe we can do a video game one and uh maybe even a follow-up to this one so thanks for for being on my show today you're most welcome i love you i love you <laughs>